0: The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Welcome to the TNF Hotline on the Napsot Files. Your calls, your voice, your thoughts. And your host, Ken Napsock. Thank you, Mr. Matty D. It's TNF Hotline episode 14. As Mr. D, my old radio partner, said, this is made up of your calls, and I love them. You take me to places I don't normally think to go on the Napsock Files. You ask questions and give me some thought starters that open up a new vein of thought and conversation in my own mind, and I share it with all of you. You can access the TNF Hotline via the Ken Napsock Patreon page, patreon.com slash Ken if you want to consider supporting or want more information. And tier three or higher gets you this number. You get to call in, share your thoughts, your voice. I love doing it here. We got some uh, a new caller. We got some old favorites. We got about four calls here tonight on the Saturday night edition of T N F Hotline. At least that's what I'm recording it and releasing this one. And I want to thank all of you who have been so nice and very supportive to the news that was uh, announced mid March. About my first book, "Why We Love Star Wars: The Great Moments That Built a Galaxy Far, Far Away," being released thanks to the nice, fine folks at Mango Publishing. The book comes out May fifteenth, but you can pre-order it now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and IndieBound. Uh, but I keep pushing everyone to Amazon. That's just kind of the big one. But if you don't want to buy it on Amazon and you're still interested in picking up the book. And head out to these other spots or go to your local bookstore, even if it's an independent bookstore in your hometown or something. You know, bring up a picture of the cover on the Internet or something. One of my tweets or something say, me like this book buy here, please. All right. Maybe you say it more intelligently than I would say, uh, but give it a go. See if they can make that happen. Love to get the book into your neck of the woods. Stay tuned for more information on possible live events, book signings, where I'll be if uh, I'm uh, out and about with Mark Ellis or the Schmodown post the release of the book and actually have the hard copies in my hands. Yeah, we'll do some events, do some uh, uh, signed copies, all those kind of things. So stay tuned for that. You know, you can follow me at Condepsock for all that. All that information, all the updates, but I cannot thank you enough for the warm reception you all have given me for this book, The Working Hard Eye. But I'm also working hard on creating content for you here in the Napsack Files podcast feed, like the TNF Hotline, which, well, requires your calls and voice to happen. So let's get to the first one from a new caller. Hi, Ken. This is Eric Tassoni in Northern California. I was just calling. Um, this is my first call at TNF Hotline and I figured my first question would be the first thought I had when I started listening to your podcast a few years ago now, and it concerns your intro of the morning drive media. I always wondered when you first started, did you belong to a larger media company, or was it just a cool intro that you liked for your show, gave it kind of that old school radio feel? I think I know the answer now, but I'd still like your thoughts on why you started all that, and... As always, thank you for the great content you keep putting out. Bye. Well, you're welcome, Eric, and thank you for calling on in here to the TNF Hotline. And I love that question because, yeah, for most of my shows and for a very long time, uh, even for a while on Force Center, I had the intro. And, uh, you know, if you heard, you've heard it here in this episode, the following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. I've done the voiceover for that. Uh, my uh, good friend, Lou Santini, uh, was a big radio DJ in Cleveland for years, did the voiceover for some of them, and then uh, more recently, I think for the last year or so, my buddy, Matt Donovan, Matty D, as I call him, my former morning show co-host, and uh, we graduated high school together, Longtime time friends. Um, he does it there just because uh, I love his voice, and I, and I actually wish I could hear uh, him on uh, on the airwaves a lot more. He's a, a talented broadcaster up in my hometown of Central California, Eric's from Northern California. So that's a great question because I have been asked that before. Is is Morning Drive re- Media real? Where did it come from? And And truth be told... Kind of like Eric said, it was something I thought sounded kind of cool and a little kitschy and like an old radio show. Even beyond just like old radio show, I would even look at like the Wayne's World sketches on Saturday Night Live, you know, the, you know, uh, talking about Aurora Cable 10. And I just I just kind of like that feel. Um I honestly don't remember. I think I'd have to go back to the very first episodes of the Napsack Files back in 2013 and, and, and see if I. Did that? I can't remember, but at some point I did. Uh, I liked it. I like how it sounds. Uh, but over the course of time, it's not a r- real company in the sense that you know it's a conglomerate. I've begun, but it is something that is real, and I have some stuff that is uh, you know listed under Morning Drive Media. Uh, you can email me at gmail.com if you want to. No one, there's no real need, but uh, that's there. Um. And then eventually, yeah, uh, uh, there is a plan, uh, a far-off plan, something I've always been interested in of of maybe, not necessarily my own podcast label, so to speak, or my own media production company. I, I don't have that. But I love, uh, I think there's a lot of people out there. And I just talked about my friend Matt Donovan, and I think uh, people like Robert Butler III and Andres Cabrera with their Meaning Of podcast, and even the Wangers. The Wangers have their own kind of brand going now. But I think there's a lot of people I work with who aren't as much in the spotlight as some of uh, my friends and me, I, you know, I don't definitely don't think there's a spotlight on me. But as one of the older Schmoes no crew, uh, someone who was there in 2012 when a lot of this digital media stuff exploded. Um, and there's, you know, people thousand times more successful than I am. But I see around me, around my own circle, I just see some people that, you know, I wouldn't mind being able to help put their shows out and and work with them and in some cases mentor them. In some cases they don't need my mentoring at all. They just need a platform. So that's always been the back of my head. So Morning Drive Media is around, is is around, and that and that intro remains as kind of almost a reminder to me every time uh something uh, I want to do. It, it, I've considered making it a, a large scale, bigger scale kind of Patreon thing. Well, could it even be a Kickstarter deadline? I don't know. There's a lot of ways to to start things with the help of the people out there. But also, too, they some, there's some listeners over the years that uh, I've become friendly with uh, enough to, they go from listeners to, to people I, I enjoy bringing into into the, the fold sometimes. Um, there's a, a cool cat uh, named Thomas Risling up in Vancouver. You hear him on Casterly Talk doing Ruminations from the Realm. Talking about Game of Thrones, he's very insightful, I think he's got a great voice, and that began because he used to call into one of my old uh, Game of Thrones shows, Daily Thrones on Anchor, which eventually became Casterly Talk. I don't don't do that for everyone, Uh, I don't want this to seem like some sort of lottery, that you get in my good graces and I'm gonna help you make it big, because number one, I ain't big, (laughs) so I can't help you get big, but that's... That's the part of the real reason why it's still there, too, Eric, and why I enjoy that question. I really did want to answer it, is, is Morning Drive Media is is a real thing from a certain point of view. Um, and I hope it's something even bigger and better down the line. But we'll see what happens. But for right now, it's just something that, yeah, it's probably a little cool, right? At least I hope so. All right, next call. Hello there, Ken. Hello, Hotline listeners. This is Kai. I am scheduling some upcoming travel and looking for a place to stay. So my question is, what is your favorite thing about hotel life? One of my favorites is if there's a good continental breakfast, especially the ones that have the waffle makers where you can make your own waffle in like two minutes. Those really make my day and my trip. if I have one on hand. So I'd like to know what are some of your favorite things. Thanks. Kai is a regular caller, and I couldn't be more happier with that because he's always got some great um not, not off the wall, like they're crazy. They're just like, this is why I do the show. I wouldn't think to talk about hotel life. I've mentioned it maybe a little bit on the afternoons with uh, Josh and Ken when especially when Mark Ellis is. I love hotels. I do love hotel life. I as a kid, we didn't travel much uh I've, I've talked about that before, but we did travel, and I always did kind of like the hotels. You know, as a family, you know, you're, you're, you're got a roll away bed or something, you know, it can be chaotic and it's a little different. But as I've gotten older, I, I, I didn't start traveling. You know, you can't afford it. You're on your own. You're living in LA and you're in your early 20s. Uh, you're not getting the chance, unless you're really a, a fortunate soul, to, to do a ton of traveling. Some people might. I certainly did it. So it was late twenties when I started making regular trips to Vegas and 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 some work related things back in even the security field where I had to you know, go uh, down to Orange County for like four days for training. And I'll tell you what, everyone in my my at my, um, uh, the level of my job I was this is when I was a a director of security. Uh, we were all grumpy. They all had families. I understood it. I was like, yeah, I get to go live in a hotel for like three and a half days. This is wonderful. Every year I go to Las Vegas for the Cauliflower Alley Club, the Wrestling Alumni Association, and I end up going to a casino out there. And I stay sometimes, I think I've been there five days. Now, that's a long time to be in Vegas, although I do have a lot of things to do at the, at the it's not really convention, but the gathering, Um, I, I look forward to it. And recently I uh, got to do a lot of traveling with Screen Junkies, a little bit with Collider. And then more recently, thankfully, fortunately, with Mark Ellis and the Schmodown. But especially with Mark Ellis, we've been doing a lot of the shows with him. And Ellis and I are on the same page. We both love hotel life. Probably a little too much. Mark even loves it more than me. I wish I could even get him here now to talk about it. Because he absolutely loves hotels, and I do too. When we are checking into our hotel in downtown Seattle... Just a couple weeks ago, doing the comedy show up there, appearing at Emerald Comic-Con. Me, him, and Josh McCougar checking in. And we get into the hotel. And it's a nice hotel. It's, it's a luxury hotel, but it's not, you know, Paris Hilton, night staying there, you know. Well, I don't know, maybe it's just. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a great lobby. Fruity water. Ellis is big on the fruity water in the hotel lobby. What kind of berries or fruits do they have in their jugs of water available to the public? Um, and I, I swear to Zork, I as we're checking in, I just kind of pause, and I, I look over at Mark. We're waiting to get up to the front, and I just go, oh, man, I love hotels. And he's like, oh, it's the best. And it is. But what do I love about it? Kai's talking about you know waffles and, and having something to kind of... Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> make your own waffle makers, which I don't know if I've ever been in a hotel room that's had a waffle maker, but a, a, you know, well, that's right. He's talking about the continental breakfasts downstairs, and that's 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 big, that's in that's important. I, I can agree with that, I, but I, I'm not so much I, I like a Holiday and Express. Yeah, you get some you know, some bad sausages and some uh, real uh, water prepared, you know, that I think just mix them up in a jar and you got some omelets, those are okay. But hotel life for me is this weird chance to kind of just live another life for a while I'm not saying I leave myself as a, as a person behind I keep my humanity I keep who I am I don't become some crazy stranger that I don't even know that's uh, you know jumping off of uh, you know balconies into pools and, and doing rock and roll drugs I don't no, that's not what I'm talking about but I I can also see that too I think that's why it happens on the road when you're a rock star you're living another you're not living a normal life. So doing these shows, going back to back, it was like, you know, we got New York, Arizona, Seattle, Chicago. I think at this point in time, I might be going to San Francisco with Mark. And there's uh, there's perhaps more shows and even more with the Schmodown. I love it. I love air travel. I love all that now. I used to be afraid of flying. Not so much anymore. I love airports. There's an art to mastering the airport. Then I love getting to the hotel and just knowing that my regular life does not exist here. That's the key, Kai. My regular life is gone. I'm not living some crazy rock and roll life, like I said, but if I want to take a nap at noon, well, I could do it. If I want to, uh, you know, get some fresh towels, I could do it. If I want to run up to a little cheap gym or bring something in my room, I'll bring like exercise bands with me when I travel. Like, I can do it. It's the best. It's just another plane of existence in a way. And I actually get kind of sad when I have to check out. And one thing I love, I, I really in Seattle. We were there in Seattle for just a short time, two nights. But it was like, it was like we got there in the evening, did a little bit of uh, social life out and about downtown Seattle. But then it was to bed up big day the next day, and I walked around downtown, all that kind of stuff. We had the panel, we had the show, and then stayed the night, and left early in the morning, right, or or, or a little afternoon. I don't know. I don't need to tell you guys my. Minute by minute schedule, but it was a quick trip, even though we had two nights. And I got to tell you, even there, even with only two nights and one full day, I move in. I mentally move in to hotels, check in. I get to lay of the land. I love, I love going up to the room. You get the number, room 313, all right, let's go up to the third floor, let's find it. And you go down the hall, ooh, I wonder what room I'm going to get. Uh, maybe you've seen pictures, maybe you've requested a, you know, pool-facing room, or a freeway-facing room, or like every year when I go to the wrestling convention, I often get on the first or second floor, not by request, just happens that way, and I open up my curtain, and I'm facing a wall. Uh, I think I've documented that at like four or five years on my Instagram feed. But even then, I love it. I love it. It's a little game. I open it up and, I'm like, oh, here's what we got. Here's my home for the next day, two days, three days, sometimes four days. And then I just carve out a little life. I loved it. Downtown Seattle, got up early the next day, all prim and proper, all wide eyed and bushy tailed, grabbed my coffee, my Starbucks in Seattle. It was like a religious experience. And I walked around the downtown area, and you get to know, uh, you know, I, I, my hometown of, of Arroyo Grande, California. I got to tell you right now, I think I know the names of like five streets, the main drags, the street uh, my my parents currently live on, uh, maybe the street by my high school. Right. I lived there almost 20 years. Right. Uh, But it's the formative years. Yeah, you're not doing a lot of the driving for the early part of that. The parents got that. But even then, I don't know the names in that town. I'm driving into San Luis Obispo and I need to get off at like Mission Street. I kind of, like I'll look for the signs, but I don't know. But in my head, oh, you mean the second exit by the tree and the curvy road? I That's how I am my hometown. But here in Los Angeles, I know every street, every corner, every name, every every avenue, every direction. as just something I do. I feel you kind of have to. I'm a stranger in a strange land. At least I was in 1998, so you get to, get to know it. So when I go to these hotels especially I'm walking downtown Seattle or New York City, I just immediately know the streets, know the names, look around. All right, we're here, 42nd and 6th. I know where that is. I know that I'm studying the maps, and I just feel as though I've moved in for that short amount of time. Do you hear the passion in my voice? Yeah, it's completely silly. It's completely silly, but it's true? I really love hotel life. I gotta tell you. I, what can I say? What can I do? Is it weird? It doesn't seem like it. seems like Kai has the same affliction. And it's not affliction. We're gonna stand stand together and stand, stand proud, Ty. You, me, and Mark Ellis. And Makuga, too. He likes it. Alright? This is what we do here on TNF Hotline. We got some weird questions. We got some off-the-wall questions. We got some different things, and I love it so much. But, we are going to continue here the TNF Hotline after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. TNF Hotline rolls on a couple calls, and it's, well, it's uh, one of my favorite times of the year. But I got to tell you, the last couple years, I, I didn't celebrate it as much, which is sad. It's tragic, but I'm I'm fully back in it. I'm getting excited, and that is baseball. And we got a couple calls about baseball here. So let's go into it now with this call from John Mariano. You can hear it in his voice. He ain't from around these parts. Hey, Ken. John Mariano here, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I was wondering about, with with the uh, baseball season right around the corner, uh, what your thoughts were on how the shift and sabermetrics are affecting the length and the strategy of baseball games. Um, I look forward to hearing the answer, and I'll be listening. Thanks. Well, I'm glad you're listening, John. Love, John. Had a chance to meet John and his family out in uh, New York, Brooklyn, more specifically for the live movie trivia showdown out there. He's got a couple great daughters, big fans of the stuff. Uh, John's got some questions about baseball. All right. So if you're not a baseball fan, all right, maybe you might tune out here. But uh, I'm bringing this up, and this is stuff that has maybe popped up before. Because TNF Hotline, thanks to Andy in Dallas, and Andy's got some calls uh, we might use here in a couple weeks on another episode of TNF Hotline, and if you're listening, uh, I received your calls. Uh, Andy always gives me a chance to talk about baseball and music, but a lot about baseball, other calls about baseball, and I love talking about baseball. Um, I I am both progressive and old school when it comes to baseball. I believe the sport should always change. Should always find ways to change. Um, There's some big changes they made that uh, we would celebrate. Uh, The idea of uh, integrating uh, uh, baseball, Jackie Robinson, breaking the color barrier. I would call that a change that baseball needed to make. Uh, Right, that's a good one. So I don't, I'm not opposed to change in baseball, Uh, as uh, a lot of people say. Some of the uh, dead ball era uh, players' uniforms, the technology, uh, their protective gear. They used to leave their gloves on the field for gosh sakes uh, between innings, and that went on for a while. There's some like shots of like early Mickey Mantle or like a glove in his back. Now we're talking batting glove, like a baseball glove uh, in his back pocket because they're so the technology. It was obviously a lot different. So the game does change and evolve. And how you measure players and, and measure uh, their worth and their value has changed over the years. And we saw, if you, you know, even if you're not a baseball fan, but you saw the movie Moneyball. That brought in early 2000s, small market A's needing to take on the big Titans, including like my favorite team, the New York Yankees, with all their money, just throwing money at talent and all that kind of stuff and putting uh, whatever they can on the field. The A's had to do it differently, and it worked. It definitely worked, and I love. St- I used to want to be a baseball statistician for about a year or two. I am obsessed with baseball stats, but as you, as I said, at the start of the segment, I, I didn't. I haven't really watched baseballs closely the last couple of years, even though it is something so near and dear to my heart. But I'm back into it this year. Really excited. Opening day does excite me. MLB the show on the, my PlayStation excites me about baseball again. Uh, I'm participating in something called Sim Dynasty, which is a uh, an online kind of you manage completely fake teams. It's all kind of statistics and probabilities and just the fun of managing team that goes to something I used to do in my childhood, which is again why I love baseball stats. I used to just track baseball stats. I used to just create up. I'd sit down on pieces of paper and I create my own teams with fake names and everything. Just make lineups and make trades and sign contracts. I in another life should have been a baseball general manager. But how you measure the the game the the player in the games have changed. And sabermetrics is something you hear. And there's new stats. And there's new shifts. Uh, you know, where it, and the shifts aren't new. Ted Williams uh, used to have to face a shift growing up. That's uh, uh, something I always knew. But now it's 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 a, it's a game. Sometimes it's not a game. It seems like a math equation on the field. And that might not make for as exciting baseball. And I kind of understand that. But uh, on Twitter the other day, I had an exchange with my pal Cody Decker. Uh, husband of uh, Jen Sturger Decker from uh, the movie Trivia Shmodown. A lot of you know her, obviously. And um, Cody's professional baseball player. He's been on the Knapsack Files in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. And he tweeted something about baseball, uh, positive. And then I tweeted a joke back like, um, that's great, but can I still hate exit velocity as a stat? Exit velocity is this weird stat. I say weird, but it's a stat that measures the speed in which The ball leaves a player's bat and uh, launch angle, like uh, all this kind of stuff. I I just don't like those stats. I don't feel that there's a need for them, right? But I'm in my living room watching them. And Cody, and I was joking, Cody knows me, but he wrote back, he's like, hey, yeah, you know, um, this is on Twitter. Yeah, you know, that's a great stat for us players. He goes, but if someone outside the game if they don't play it, or they're not in management, if they're talking about exit velocity or exit velo, um, they don't know they don't know what they're talking about. Basically, they don't need to talk about that. It's not for you guys watching. It's for us playing and managing, and that makes some sense because hitting is a science. Pitching is all about the motion and the repetition of that motion and the and the science of uh, of throwing. Um, so. It's not just statistics that tell you what you are doing or what you normally do, and that's a large part of it, but like with things like launch angle and exit velocity in an era where guys are throwing 100 miles per hour uh, way more regularly than they used to, Walter Big Train Johnson, Washington Senators, 20s and 30s, he's the fastest guy in the game, and I think that you can go find reports online where they kind of measure the velocity now, I think that's a great documentary, Fastball. Highly recommend it. Like Walter Johnson like, maybe through in the high 80s, and he was the fastest of all time at the era, you know. Um, but also how we change its measure, where Nolan Ryan might have been throwing harder than we actually thought he was in, in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. Um, but all that in a, in a game where things can be won because of split-second decisions and how you swing a bat – and how you throw, and how you feel and how you position your body, that's where I can understand where a lot of this matters, particularly with the exit velocity and launch angle types of stats. All the other things, war, wins above replacement, all these kind of new age stats that, quite frankly, I am Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino on. I'm just like, get off my lawn. I like batting average, wins, saves, and uh, sizing up a player with my eye and get on the field and play. Baseball has always been a thinking man's game. Not that other sports don't have stats and strategies, but baseball definitely has that. And I think I'm more excited than I thought I would be about some of these new stats going into the new season. I don't necessarily need them from my fantasy team. We draft players based on kind of some of the old traditional stats. And even those stats saves is a stat that wasn't around until, you know, really came to prominence in the, in the seventies. Um, For a while, there were stats that have come and gone in baseball. Remember game-winning RBIs? That was a stat. You could find them on the back of Topps baseball cards, like 88 Topps. there would be the normal stats in the down below. But you have, like, game-winning RBIs, eight. And that was an interesting stat because it was, like, who drove in the run that put your team ahead for good? And that could happen at any point in the game. Could happen in the first inning or could happen in the bottom of the ninth or the tenth inning. And they found it to be kind of a useless stat kind of pointless because a lot of guys were getting game winning RBIs in the third inning and it doesn't really measure your clutch ability to be a clutch performer just is now a useless stat. So stats, stats themselves change in baseball, but as a former guy interested in stats and thought about even going to college to be a baseball statistician before I transitioned to maybe being a baseball announcer and then didn't do any of that. And me and Mark Ellis will one day call a minor league baseball game. Um, I, I'm, I'm understanding of it now more than ever. It's still not my favorite way to watch a baseball game, but when Cody Decker said that to me on, on this just a couple of days as this recording, basically, you don't need to worry about that. Let us worry about exit velocity and launch angle. It might be cool stuff to show on ESPN, but we need that. You don't. You can still just enjoy the game, and enjoy the game I do. Oh, I love me some Major League Baseball talking about baseball we got a question here from our friend regular caller dj snacks here he is dj snacks checking in hi ken so with baseball season restarting now we're into the first weekend we had opening day this week you've talked in the past about how gary carter is your favorite player if you would can you go into more detail as to why he's your favorite player and also who your favorite manager of all time is thanks for taking my question DJ Snacks, DJ Snacks. I cut my own mic off there. DJ Snacks uh, with a good call here. That comes from our Discord server. You can uh, also reach me on the uh, Facebook, uh, excuse me, on the Patreon page uh, on our Ken Napsack, Napsack Files Discord server and leave uh, messages there if you're a member of the Patreon page. That's what I'm trying to say. DJ Snacks got a question about my favorite baseball player of all time, Gary Carter. The late Gary Carter passed away a few years ago. Now uh, it's cancer, Uh, very sad. A very popular player, a very vibrant personality, very positive, known for his smiles, nicknamed The Kid, played first for the Montreal Expos and big trade in the 80s to the New York Mets, joined them in 85, uh, 85 to about 89, 90, big, uh, big Mets guy. Then he went to the San Francisco Giants, Dodgers, which was his hometown team, and then back to the Expos to finish his career. Retired in the early 90s. Gary Carter was a catcher, number eight. I, I don't recall how or why or when Gary Carter became my favorite player. I was getting into baseball big in the early 80s. This is an era, and it's weird because I just wrote the book Why We Love Star Wars, but baseball was the reason I kind of started to put Star Wars on the back burner for a couple years. Just fell in love with him. Fell in love with collecting the baseball cards, fell in love with wanting to be a baseball player, fell in love with uh, my favorite team, the New York Yankees. And in the 90s, uh, excuse me, the mid-80s, they weren't the best team around. They were a lot of talent, didn't quite make it. Then they just completely collapsed in the early 90s until they started to slowly rebuild. Uh, But my favorite player was Gary Carter. Never, never played for the Yankees. Love Mattingly. One of my favorite players, love Jeter, love those guys, but Gary Carter was my favorite player because he was a catcher number one, and I just was drawn to him, just drawn to him, and he was one of the biggest stars around that time in a different era where stars, the stats were a lot different, the big the numbers weren't as big, but Gary was a core member of the Mets team the won the 86 World Series. He was a good guy amongst a bunch of bad guys. And I didn't know that at the time. He, he was a very devout Christian guy known for that. And that made my mom very happy and me happy when I found that out and, you know, raised at a Christian church and a Christian myself. Like, this is great. Uh, he's a good guy. Um, but that didn't really factor into that. came later. That just that was fate or either got himself. Uh, <laughs> I just loved Gary's energy, the passion, uh, and I wanted to be a catcher. And I loved his batting stance. I loved his catching stance. Very distinct, widespread knees, and uh, the catcher's glove, the mitt, um, held very, uh, very upright, almost his wrists bent at a ninety degree angle. Right there, big target uh, with that eighties, nineteen eighties catcher's uh, glove, uh, catcher's mitt, and um, I just loved him. He was hard. He was a hard nosed player. Not all of his teammates loved him because he was so positive. Kind of guy just became, was it, walked into a room. He was, you know, a quarterback, uh, top of the class kind of guy at UCLA. And just, um, you know, he uh, he was kind of uh, the center of attention. And that got, could bother some of his teammates at the time if you read some of the stories. But he was all around good guy. Passed away, uh, I think he was in his mid-50s. Very sad. I cried very hard. I cried the day he retired and cried the day he passed away. It was part of my childhood going away. His mother had passed away when she was young, and and Gary was uh, a boy. uh, Cancer, I believe, as well. Um, Sad, tragic, had a good family. I've read both of his books. He did two uh, autobiographies um, with some help uh, on the writing, of course, uh, as a lot of players did, and and still do, but especially in the early 80s. A lot of guys had those, uh, Keith Hernandez, Daryl Starwell, they had... had, uh, Books and Gary Carter had two. One about the '86 season, one a little bit later on, time with his Dodgers. And what that one is, uh, wasn't as positive as book as a book, but the '86 was great. It's one of my favorite baseball books of all time, and it gave me an insight into like the life of what of uh, being a major league player could be. If I uh, made my dream came true. they That didn't. My other dreams came true, which is talking to you all. So that's how Gary Carter became my favorite player. My favorite manager, I love a lot of managers out there. Uh, I do love a lot of them. Love the old classics. I love Davey Johnson, Earl Weaver, Lou Piniella when he was a manager. But my favorite manager of all time was the one who helped bring glory back to my New York Yankees. That is Joe Torre. Uh, Joe Torre, 1996, the Yankees return to the World Series. Joe, Joe's brother's. Joe's brother Frank was uh, going through some severe medical problems. They got a heart transplant or something. I can't remember. And Joe, that was on the mind. This was 96. The Yankees were kind of America's team. Uh, they became the evil empire again after people hated them for a long time. But 96, a lot of people were, were rooting for the Yankees. That's my favorite Yankee team. A lot of plucky guys, not a lot of huge stars. Jeter wasn't quite yet what he was. And it was Joe Torre. who was kind of the biggest star of the team. The quiet, calm yet intense manager, and I was coaching baseball a couple years later, and that was kind of my style, too. I always go to Joe Torre, and I got to know He was a great baseball player, Joe Torre was, former National League MVP and everything, played for the Cardinals, Braves, but I knew him as the California Angels announcer, color announcer. Uh, It was along with Bob Starr, I think it was, uh, or is that the Kings announcer? I can't remember that, but Joe Torre was the announcer for the Angels for a while color guy and uh, that's where I was like oh now he went to back to manage the Cardinals in the early 90s and the Yankees got him. I'm like oh Gentori. I loved hearing his voice. Part of my childhood of hearing his voice over the Angels radio stations. Uh, but he's my favorite manager and that's that question. I think I've talked about enough about baseball. For those who aren't interested I apologize. But that's what we do here on a TNF Hotline a Saturday night edition and I hope you enjoy that. I got to do a special shout out and thanks uh, to my high tier Patreon supporters. These are my executive Executive producer supporters. That's David Ham. That's DJ Snacks. Who just called in? Thomas Risling. Uh, We got Lethal Logan X, Matthew Simon, Bador, and Matt Baroni. Matt Thompson, Tabor, and Abdul. The brothers Buata, Buta. I call them Brothers Butta, but Makuga says her name right. They won't teach me. Uh, Nikki Baldwin, Don Long, and Nathan Ovendale. That is uh, the names of, uh, those are the names of the people that make this show possible, along with everyone on Patreon. Appreciate those calling in. If you want to uh, seek uh, information on that, go to patreon.com slash cadapsack, and go to cadapsack.com for information about all the other things I do, including the other podcasts like The Afternoons, Catchly Talk, Four Center, of course, my book, Why We Love Star Wars, The Great Moments That Built a Galaxy Far, Far Away, is available For pre-order, right now, go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or ask your local bookstore. We'll see you. Hope to hear from you soon. Bye.